The great tower stood as a triumph of human ingenuity, a monument to what we could accomplish as one tribe. That's why God hated it. That's why he smashed our unity, scattered us into countless cultures, and left us to toil in our separateness, unable to come together and embrace the void. I find this void quite calming, actually. It's like, this time, the Xanax took me. Your sense of self is crumbling, and it's taking the void down with it. It's like I'm in a black void, trying to reach the new story. This concept of morality is a very interesting human characteristic. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see. Warning, this podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 101 of Embrace the Void, where dealing with shit makes you part of the tribe. I'm your host, Aaron, and my guest this week is certainly going to be the most controversial one we've had on so far. Um, I'm very aware of the debate around the value of debates, uh, the meta-debate, as it were, and I'm sympathetic to folks who think that debates like this have little net value. If you are one of those individuals, this episode and the next one are likely not going to be uh, your cup of tea. And I understand, you know, this is the void. Expectations are low. Um, but on the other hand, I'm a Socratic. It's who I am. Uh, and I think that argument is one of the ways that uh, we can try to uh, gain understanding. And I think that the argument that we're going to have over the course of these next two episodes is at the heart of the void right now. Um, so that being said, um, I will reiterate something that I say at the end of part two, which is I really do not want this debate to be used as a cudgel against other people in the social justice warrior left who are skeptical of the value of arguments and choose to spend their time elsewhere. Um, I don't like seeing when people who do try to engage are used as a weapon against people who have good reasons um, not to engage. So um, if you're sharing this around, please don't share it in that kind of framework. I really appreciate it. And that being said, let's get to the interview. My guest this week is Bo Weingard, assistant professor of psychology at Marietta University, co-host of the Cyphalopod podcast, and contributor at Quillet Magazine. Bo, would you like to say hi to the void? Uh, yes, hello. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you for be willi being willing to come on and have a rousing disagreement. Um, as I said in the uh, for folks in the intro. Uh, I understand that people have disagreements about disagreements, but I think uh, this is worth doing. Um, to focus our disagreement here some, we decided ahead of time that we were going to kind of focus in on a moral question of whether society ought to try to achieve social progress by potentially changing human nature. Uh, and I think that'll involve some referencing to some empirical claims, and we'll do the best we can not to get too far into the weeds on any one thing, but... Uh, mm -hmm. I thought it would be um, productive if we limited our conversation that way so that we weren't being too overly broad. Um, also, to be helpful, I thought it might be good to lay out our personal biases uh, and maybe find a few points of agreement before we move into points of disagreement. Um, so I, I'll start for myself. I, I have no biases. <laughs> okay, great. I was going to ask. We'll get there, right? I'll, I'll say I'll say for myself, I have biases, right? Okay. I am I am a progressive uh, social justice type, um, and I think partly because I'm an ethicist philosopher, my views are probably somewhere on the more quote unquote extreme end of. Um, where I think we should be, though my pessimism about outcomes, I think, often tempers my final policy conclusions. Um, now, it seems to me from looking at your materials, you would potentially self-identify as like a reactionary centrist or a pragmatic <laughs> centrist. Is that accurate? Ooh, a reactionary centrist. I, I haven't heard that. But, well, I saw uh, you call yourself a reactionary and I saw you call yourself a centrist. So I assumed yeah. by the law of 
A plus A, A plus B here. <laughs> I kind of play around with self-labeling. I, I'd honestly mm, probably like some kind of pragmatic centrist ultimately at the end of the day. Okay, that, that gets to most of your tribal biases, you feel like? Well, I would say, um, yeah, yeah. I, I probably have slightly more sympathy for, say, the National Review than I do for Vox. So probably slightly to the right, at least on social issues, but pretty progressive, really, on some economic issues. But yeah, if I if I had to identify with a tribe, it would be probably the tribe of the sort of I, I don't want to be divisive, but maybe the anti-woke tribe. Yeah, it seems like you're part of what I would think of as the anti-social justice warrior yeah. centrist position. I mean, self-identifying yeah. as centrist, we can obviously debate how centrist the position is, because I think as you self-identified there, I think a, a fair number of people in that group are... Well, let me, let me put it this way. Do you spend more of your time, you feel like, as a centrist arguing with people on the left or the right or or criticizing people so. on the left versus the right yeah 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 good question no very much so arguing with people on the left although i i would qualify that i think two ways one because i'm an academic i'm mostly around people who are on the left and the problems that i see in academia the the bias problems are mostly caused by people on the left so i focus on that more and then two i actually I used to be very much a person of the left. And mm-hmm. so I think I got into this habit of concerning myself more with my tribe than other people's tribes. And perhaps that's just carried over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that is a common thing that like individuals, that, that there's this sort of almost mindset of like, well, the right's going to be the right. But like as yeah. a lefty, I can argue with other lefties. And that kind of yeah. morphs into only ever criticizing the left. Yeah, but I mean, to be fair, for example, I have certain belief, like like I think free. I, I don't, I don't believe in whatever this means exactly. We could talk about that, although that'd be a yeah. side conversation. But I'm I'm I don't believe in free will, for example. I'm an atheist, so I have a lot of opinions that would cause consternation to certain conservatives. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't encounter them very often, so I don't have those debates. Right. I mean, my impression, and I've, I've spent the past week consuming quite a bit of your material, is that you are someone who I'm, I'm, I'm curious if I can tease this out, that you are someone who still is sort of left, but that you're angry about certain interactions you've had with left individuals, which I think is making it a little harder for you to steel bot the leftist position sometimes. Sometimes that's probably true. And I should probably I, I will say I should probably do better about that. I really should. I think it's important to do that. And I do enjoy I do have productive conversations with lots of people who are on the left. But yes, I think there's an amount of frustration that's caused. For, I, I don't know if I want to go so far as to say anger, but definitely frustration that's been caused uh, maybe in the past few years and especially like. Mm-hmm. More as I've gotten into studying human population variation with just I don't mind disagreement at all. I really don't. I In fact, I love it. The, the, what I don't like is what I view as almost willful misrepresentation of things that I've said or that other people have said. That That's what I start to get irritated about. Yeah, I think my my impression is that all the groups left, right and center are feeling a lot of that at the moment that everyone. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Yeah, right. Feels this anger and and like um, feels like they're not being they're the ones that are being you know most mischaracterized or something like that. <laughs> sure. Um, so good. So I feel like this allows us to at least be forward about our biases, even if we can't totally correct for them uh, yeah, for, our, for our listeners. Um, so let's talk about some things that. Uh, I think we may be able to find some agreement on and that we'll, we'll see if we can use, and if this goes poorly and we just start disagreeing, fine. But like, um, I, I think we can find some common ground here. So let me, uh, some of these are going to be um, normative or moral claims. Some of them are going to be empirical claims, but there okay. is a method to this madness. So, okay. right. So, the fir- right. So my first question is, and I'm going to pose most of these as questions. Um, do okay. you believe there are more or less moral ways to live? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So you are, I would argue, a kind of moral realist in the sense that you believe that there are objectively 
better and worse ways to flourish or potentially objectively better and worse ways to act towards others, things like that. Yes. Okay, great. That's just a useful thing to put out there so that we avoid like the, the is ought kind of concerns, because I do think yeah. that we're drawing on a, a similar, um, some kind of moral realists, similar foundations yeah. there. Great. So yeah. do you believe uh, society can impact human nature by changing our beliefs and by changing and by, by changing our beliefs, our behavior and our environment? Absolutely. Okay, great. So, um, and connected to that, right, would you agree that society has been a, a key, maybe the key part of human success as a species because it allows us to change human nature much faster than just pure blind biological evolution? Okay, so I, I don't want to get, I don't want to sound pedantic, but I do want to make a distinction between sort of changing human nature and augmenting human nature in a sense. So I don't think an iPhone particularly changes human nature, but it changes the way humans interact with the world and with each other in a way that changes human social arrangements. Which can then in turn have implications for everything, including human biology, right? Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. But like, to be clear, I don't think, for, for let me just take a concrete example. I don't think that there were differences, really, substantial differences between the human nature of people in East Germany and West Germany before they re reunited. But there were definitely massive social differences. Okay. But you do think, it seems from what I've seen, that you do think that there are some group differences in terms of the nature of certain populations. Yes, yes, but I I do. And I guess my point is I just want to make it clear that mm-hmm. not all not all differences between groups are caused by differences in their nature. Some okay. probably are and it's a matter of degree and we'd have to get specific about the groups involved. Yeah. Right. And like part of the reason sort of a follow-up question here is that like part of human success is our our mental and behavioral plasticity with regard yes. to our environments and our societies, right? Absolutely. Yeah, right. I would agree with that. And yes. I think this, I lay these questions out this way because I think you, you, and I, I mean, I've seen other people have this trouble as well, getting into discussions about blank slateism and like, you know, it, it, framing the argument in terms of whether people think that it's cultural or nature versus or cultural or nurture versus biological nature or something like that. And mm-hmm. those end up being proxy categories, I think, for whether whether a feature is is more or less mutable right how yeah. how easily can something be changed yeah right? i think that's right and in fact i i will just say that i have um i think i've kept to this i've pretty much refrained from using the term blank slate anymore because mm-hmm. i just think it's not a particularly fruitful characterization i think the way you put it is is basically how modifiable is pretty close to what we're getting at. I don't think anybody's really a complete blank slate is. Right. I think the debate is really, are there certain features that are functionally essential in the sense that you're not going to be able to change them even with a lot of cultural pressure, right? Right, exactly. That's where I think the the fight is a little bit. Okay, great. So... And so it seems like I would I think you would probably say, yes, right. You believe that one of the major purposes of society in changing human nature, quote unquote, is changing how people act morally, getting people to be more moral, essentially. Oh, wow. That's I'm oh, I'm not sure that I would follow that. I would say it. It is getting people to work together more productively. And to, and of course, part of that is moral. Um, but like our decline, let's say declines in violence. So let's say we, we create social implements that, you know, mm-hmm. so- social institutions that cause a decline in violence. Right. It's not, I- I'm not sure that I would call that moral necessarily. So like, the, let's say the rise of states in say 14 to 1700, that was coupled with a dramatic decrease in violence and, in, in, um, homicide rates, let's say. Right. Now, was that a moral, was it moral 
Not really, because it's not as if the, the states that rose were suppressing violence for altruistic moral reasons, right? <laughs> right. But you have, uh, from, I mean, sorry, I, I can't want to keep referencing because I've listened through your podcast now. Um, oh, sure. Right. You're, you say, you seem to lean towards the utilitarian perspective that like yeah. it's the consequences that determine whether something is moral, not the intentions. So if we get, it, you know, like th this to me is a weird <laughs> distinction between politics okay. and morality. To me, politics mm -hmm. is morality on a larger scale with more people and more problems. But like following Aristotle here, I think that these two are fundamentally yeah. connected, that like the purpose of society when it gets beyond merely survival is promoting human flourishing. Mm -hmm. OK, so I think that um, I think that that's true. Okay. I do. But but I I. I the utilitarian framework can be coupled with at least a small appreciation of intentions, I think. So here's a question. Oh, of course. Absolutely. I didn't mean to say okay. otherwise. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to suggest, but I, I, I think it's important just because it's not clear to me, for example, that Steve, that we could describe Steve Jobs's behavior, just making um, uh, iPhones and getting rich as moral, even though it actually did lead probably, although we could debate this, but let's just assume this is correct. It probably did lead to a, a dramatic increase in utility, at least in the United States and European countries, let's say. Now, is that moral? I don't know. But, yeah. I, mean, okay. I mean, it seems to me that it is, it's, it's so like, I think an action can be, it has different degrees of morality to it, right? You can say it has very moral consequences, even if the intentions uh -huh. were not particularly moral. Okay. Right, or if the intentions were entirely neutral. Let's do this. Let's. Yeah. I, I will agree with you in 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 this in this sense. In the okay. sense that yes, what I would like from society is to increase people's utility, and ultimately, there's a moral dimension to that. Sure. Okay, and and maybe we can re, um, uh, reinforce this a little bit with the next question, which is: Do you believe that like there has been substantive improvement in the behavior of humans? as a result of social changes in the past 300 years that have improved humans in terms of moral behavior and increased mm -hmm. their quality of life. Absolutely, yes. Okay, great. Um, and that would, I think, suggest that there is at least some connection between the goal of trying to make people more moral and trying to make people happier, mm -hmm. right? Um, yes, yes, yeah. So... From these things, and, and there's one more claim here that I think will get us towards maybe um, some of our points of disagreement, mm -hmm. but I, I, I've tried to put it in a way that I think is mild enough that I think you would have to agree here is that a variety of systemic injustices, historic injustices involving things like race, gender, sexuality, other factors, um, mm -hmm. you know, immigration status, all sorts of things have created systems of social inequality that are harmful to people and that it would be better if they were done away with? Uh, certainly, I would agree in the past. I suppose if we got into the contemporary scene, we would probably disagree. But let's agree that, yes, those have existed, and it's a good thing that we've made significant progress there. Yeah, and I mean, this is the, the sort of tension between this and the last question is I do think that we have made significant progress, but I also think that in the present, this claim is very much alive and true. So we can make that, I think, part of our argument. Um, yes. So based on these premises, right, it seems mm -hmm. to me this is how this is where I end up a progressive social justice individual, right? If I buy all of these collections of moral and empirical premises, I get the conclusion that uh, it is good for society to promote progress in human behavior, even mm -hmm. if, you know, old, some older generations or some groups that have certain entrenched power and stability are strongly adverse to those changes, and that, mm -hmm. you know, we improve society by reducing systemic injustice. And that's, that's mm -hmm. what I think most people, or I shouldn't say most people, that's what I think is the steel-bought version of the progressive liberal position. Um, would you agree that that is sort of a, a fair version of that position? And I guess I'm curious, what would be needed to get me from that position to your position? Well, so yeah, so that's an interest. I, I mean, in the abstract, I would agree that yes, that is the steel bot version of the sort of progressive position. Okay. Uh, and, and also, 
I completely endorse that version. <laughs> okay, great. So, so you are, this is why I, I get a little confused in the terminology, because it seems like you are a progressive liberal who's just frustrated by the current situation. Right, but here's where I think the details start to matter. Because okay. I think that why I, I would consider myself somewhat socially conservative, at least as I understand this steel-bodied conservative view of the world, is mm -hmm. because I think that social order is precious and it's important to attempt to preserve it. And I think sometimes change that happens too rapidly actually causes more damage than good. And I would use examples such as the French and Russian revolutions, but there are other ones that we can talk about it. And I also think that, yes, I agree with you, even though sometimes you're going to upset, irritate, perturb the older generation, and that's a good thing. But we do all have like this sort of social covenant together that we have to attempt to balance competing interests. And mm -hmm. if you irritate one segment of society too much, even if we think what we're doing is good and we can get into that, that might actually lead to worse outcomes for everybody. Okay. So let's look at some concrete examples of what you're describing, because there has been radical social change in this country in our lifetimes. Yes. Do you think it's good that gay marriage is now the law of the land and that like religious conservatives are at least forced to coexist in a world where people are allowed to get gay married that like, you know, let's set aside for the moment, like the cake baker. Right. But just more broadly yeah. speaking, a lot of the animus I experience from the right is anger about things like, you know, Christians being forced to endorse gay marriage or people being forced right. to accept transgender rights. Yeah. Like, but do you feel like those are th good examples of successes on the social progress chart? Oh, okay, so it's interesting. So let's take so the gay marriage one. Mm -hmm. I I'm open to debate about the wisdom of having the Supreme Court rule on that. So I, I can I've read people and I read, for example, Justice Roberts' dissent in the Obergefell case, and I find that reasonably persuasive. However, I myself was a, a champion of gay marriage since, I don't know, 1996 or something. So I personally definitely favored it. Yes. I think I would have rather the, the progression to, to gay marriage avoided the Supreme Court and just worked state by state, although I'm open to arguments otherwise. But but ultimately, yes, I am glad that we live in a society in which gays are allowed to get married. Yeah, I mean, it uh, seems to me problematic when, when we do the solution of people get rights state by state because there are a lot of people, especially lower income individuals, who then end up not being able to get access to their rights because they lack levels of mobility. Uh, yes. That, I, ideally, I agree with you that like it should have gone through Congress rather than the Supreme Court. That's the legislator's job. The problem, right. it seems to be, is that we currently live in a country where, and this, I think, plays to my, a little bit of my concerns about taking the centrist mantle over the progressive, is that it gives mm -hmm. the impression that the current conflict is because there are two extreme sides that are both being extreme, when the reality, mm -hmm. I think, is much closer to there's one very, very, very extreme side, and the other side is being radicalized to defend itself from that le those levels of extremism and it's and that the first group is not the left um i'm not sure that i would accept that description but let's just set that aside for a sure, moment sure. because i i agree with you i i don't the centrism that i would adhere to is not a centrism that says both sides are like equally this or that and therefore we should work toward the center the centrism that i subscribe to is is much more of just a pragmatic philosophy that doesn't have like a a strong ideology. It's like what works in specific cases. And it does emphasize compromise because ultimately you have to live together with these people and you can't cause okay. too much alienation from another group. I, I, I get concerned about that. Though you do, you would also have to acknowledge that there are important historic examples where the right yes. thing does produce a lot of alienation at first that is then reconciled yeah. through further challenges. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And, and somebody, I mean, um, I know a decent amount about the Civil War. I wouldn't consider myself a scholar, certainly. And I think there's definitely an argument that the Civil War was a case of 
absolute bloodshed that was necessary to, I mean, to be clear, the people in the North didn't fight it to liberate slaves. That's not what their purpose was, but it ultimately ended in the liberation of slavery or in the, the abolition of slavery, excuse me. And that was probably ultimately worth it, even though it was horrible. Uh, okay, this, this is valuable because I think one of the um, one of the things I often see lobbed at the left from the center is that the left is somehow a, a more dangerous source of totalitarian overreach than the right. Usually relating to like mm-hmm. the left believes in positive rights, whereas the right only believes in negative rights. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it does. It's good to hear at least that you think that there are situations where morality should be enforced at the end of a gun because no other solution is available in that yeah. moment. And that's, I do think that. Yeah. yeah and that I think yeah. that the left can make that case sometimes. Yes, I, I agree with that. To be to be clear, though, I, I would be very mm, circumspect about sure. when we should enforce morality with a gun. <laughs> sure, it's obviously not the first resort. Right. Um, yeah. So, okay, but okay, let's get back to um, our our topic a little bit here. If mm-hmm. you think that gay marriage becoming sort of part of the the nature of things, if that kind of rapid social progress is mostly a good thing it sounds mm-hmm. like what are the examples yep. that you have in mind of sort of rapid social progress in our society that is a bad thing well okay so i, I mean the let's go from the gay marriage to trans and then maybe to immigration i think is how i'll work this okay. so gay marriage i think uh, is a good thing i think moving slowly on gay marriage which actually really did happen in some sense i think there there was a slow, concerted effort to persuade people, and you just look at polls now, attitudes towards gay marriage, are significantly different from what they were in, say, 1992, because persuasion won it there. And I think that's important. So you actually, the, the gay the gay rights movement, if we could call it that, actually succeeded, I think, by persuading people, mostly. I mean, I, mean, I think it succeeded mostly by having everyone end up knowing someone who is gay. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I you can call that, I mean, you can call that, I suppose, a kind of persuasion. It's unfortunately not a very rational kind of persuasion, right? Yeah, I, I, just, I just want to sort of clarify, I guess I'm saying that, like, I don't think this happened because people were brought about to the right view through disagreement. I think it happened because sure. there were an, there was enough of a cultural tip and then everyone else came along for the ride. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I accept that. Although, I mean, like, I think the thing that's complicated with gay marriage is... A lot of one's attitude toward gay marriage depends on one's attitude about marriage. And so, for example, in ancient Greece, I don't think it it, it wouldn't make any sense to have gay marriage because they viewed marriage as this very uh, this institution that was designed to procreate their society. Right. And like they didn't view marriage the way we have come to view marriage. So I think it's important to keep in mind that the way. When we say right to marriage, that probably wouldn't make any sense if we were talking about a different society. The reason it yeah, makes but sense. I mean, that's true of a lot of the rights out there, right? The right to free speech wouldn't have made sense to a lot sure, of societies. No. Oh, no, I agree with that. But I guess my only point is to say that I don't think the the um, uh, prohibition on gay marriage was always motivated by anti-gay animus. In fact, I, I don't think that was the case at all for a lot of human history. Now, just in America, and yeah, under in Christianity. America, yeah, and Christianity certainly has a lot to play there, yeah. I mean, I guess, let's set that aside. That's getting a bit... Areas where I have concerns, though, because mm-hmm. I think we agree on the gay marriage one, by and large, uh-huh. areas where I have concern is, for, for example, with trans issues, although I... I I'm not an expert on these issues, so I don't want to, it's not like sort of my bailiwick, if you will, but it's, it does concern me in that it appears that we're making very quick changes in our understanding of gender and who can participate in women's sports, et cetera, who can go in what bathroom, that, that these changes are disconcerting to people. And I think actually reasonably so i can understand why people would be and and how many pronouns do we use this this strikes me as not not as big a deal i mean like as as it is made out to be right 
so maybe maybe we can debate this here a little bit. I I, I understand that. Well, here, let me put it this way. First of all, right, much like you did with the gay marriage thing, I can point out that the debate between gender differences and the nature of gender goes back to Simone de Beauvoir, right? Goes back to the second sex, goes back to second wave feminism, not even third wave feminism, right? This whole idea that women are more than just their biology is not mm -hmm. a new idea. It's just mm -hmm. that um, we as a society have caught up in a sense with the idea that if gender really is a social construct and there are people who are who are suffering under enforced traditional gender norms that they don't like, that it would be mm -hmm. better for them to be free to be whoever they are, just like mm -hmm. we did with gay people. So I'm, I'm not sure how you get from there to like, it's a, it's a justifiable fear of letting a trans woman go into a bathroom. Well, because I, I okay. So I, I think I agree with most of what you said. I think mm -hmm. the important thing here is though, Gender identity. So, you know, let's suppose that you have <clears throat> 10 males who identify. Uh, so I don't know the terminology. I'm going to try to be cautious with it. So 10 cis males who mm -hmm. are trans women. And they so so do we treat them exactly as we would treat biological cis women? I I'm skeptical of that claim. I mean, there's, so why why are you skeptical? Well, for one thing, would I be more concerned about having my daughter babysat by a trans woman than a cis woman? Yeah, probably. Okay, but and why? I'm, I mean, I understand that's your inclination, but what what evidence would you be basing that inclination on? Well, well okay, I don't. I I'd have to look at the evidence. I don't have any. I'm not saying that that's completely rational right now. So let's put a just put a footnote. All I'm saying is that. I would be, we'd have to look at the evidence. My suspicion is that a lot of people feel that way. Now you can say, I guess your comeback would be, they shouldn't feel that way. It's completely irrational, right? Well, I mean, I, I can point you to the people who will say that they would be really ang anxious about having a gay person babysitting their children sure. for very and, similar and, reasons. So I'm yeah. curious why you think that one one is not well, good anymore and the other is still understandable. I'm not well I'm not saying either are good or bad okay. I'm I, I'm saying I'm saying I don't think I think it's reasonable oh, oh, let's just stick let's go to sports where the, the evidence is clear and it's easier to talk well about I want to be it, careful right? about going to sports here actually because I think okay. that sports is a very special case and a wedge okay. issue that is being used specifically to push the idea that trans women are not women so I think it's I find it very important before we talk about sports that we first agree on uh, some notion of the idea that trans women really are women and that it would be better in society. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Let me just say okay. that, that sure. it seems like if we can't agree that trans women are women, right? And I'm not mm -hmm. saying you disagree or either way. And we sure. can't agree that as best as we can, we as a society ought to treat them as if they are women, treat them mm -hmm. as women because that mm -hmm. there, there is no distinction, right? If we, if we really buy the, the social construct understanding of um, gender, uh, gender sure. expression, right? Um, okay. If we can, if we can agree on those two things, then mm -hmm. I'm willing to have a conversation about the hard problem of sports. I guess okay. is how I would put so, it. So that's good. So it gives me. So you think? It, okay. So let's set sports aside because that actually you think is at least a harder problem. So here's a here's here's a question. Do you think that if I identified as black? And I got pigment that made me look black, that I would, that people should treat me as though I am black? Yeah, so this is a really complicated question. Um, <laughs> and I mean, like, I acknowledge that it is a complicated ethical question okay. because I do think that race is socially constructed, right? Okay. And the reason it is complicated is because uh, there is there are social inequalities that exist in the world between mm -hmm. groups, it seems to me, and that there mm -hmm. is a, a risk that individuals could engage in a kind of um, oppression voyeurism by adopting a certain kind of um, uh, identity, right, for mm -hmm. the sake of a variety of problematic reasons. Now, I realize that there are 
similar arguments that could be made um, for trans individuals. And this is why I ultimately mm-hmm. would say I think the goal should be a world where harm where, where inequalities between groups are eliminated effectively mm-hmm. as much as they can be and that in that world people should be able to be whatever color gender anything that they want because i'm a f- neo-futurist i think that like identity right. should be as constructed as it can possibly be okay so that's interesting now what i find odd i will say is the claim that somebody would engage in oppression voyeurism so let me give you my interpretation of why people don't like it if you would identify as black because what i think is people in our society realize that you actually get benefits for being black and what irritates people is the notion that I could turn myself into a black person and then get benefits for that that I haven't earned. Well, this is why I, this is why I think it's it's a different question in the real world versus in a world where we don't have social inequality. Right? Because I mean, first of all, there's very little evidence that if you turned yourself black, it would go better for you. Like Oh, I think definitely would. I, I think statistically think. speaking, it would go worse for you, actually. Well, right. But we have to talk about what causes the disparities. Right? Well, we, I mean, like, we don't in the sense that if you're willing to just, you know, if you just think that people are like looking at the numbers and assuming statistically their outcomes will be better if they switch colors. The reality is you are a much better color already than you could ever be in terms of your oh, likely yeah. outcomes. Oh, I understand that. But I'm saying we have to look at what causes the outcome. So, for example, Let's say, so men are, uh, if we look at uh, the distribution, men are better at, well, that's not a good one. Let me think of a different (laughs) one. (laughs) So so let's say there are more blacks incarcerated, right? And so you might say, well, if you turned yourself black, then that would, I guess, increase your likelihood of ending up incarcerated. Correct. Yeah, but not, not if the cause of the incarceration is an actual disparity in crime rate, then it wouldn't. But the so cause the I'm, cause is not an actual disparity in criminal behavior. It's a disparity yeah. in policing yeah. behavior. Okay, well, we, we'll have to have that debate some other time. <laughs> but I mean, I think these these are important. I mean, my point here is, right? Yeah, but this, here's this, my yeah, go ahead. How about I ask you this question? I apologize okay. for interrupting, but let me let me just ask this question, then we can go from there. If the fact of the matter is that converting myself into an African-American would actually make my life substantially worse, then why would anybody be opposed to it? I'm actually imposing a cost on myself. Because people might feel like it's what you're actually um, taking on is a caricature of them, that it's um, there are, there are problematic ways in which you are reinforcing some kinds of stereotypes by... Okay adopting their appearance while also adopting certain what you think of as quote-unquote black sets of behavior for example and these are similar arguments that you see with um anti-trans activists will argue that like transgenderism is a kind of um playing dress up and pretending to be someone you're not like an appropriation of female kind of cultural appropriation right yeah um yeah but but the see see the thing is you're you don't accept it in the trans sexual or excuse me transgender case you don't accept that argument right no and i and that's why i ultimately wouldn't um accept it in the racial case either right if i I really do feel like you know i I feel very bad for someone like rachel dolezal and like Mm -hmm. i do think that there are people who would benefit from a even more and this is why i'm a social progressive i think that we have been constrained in so many ways by expectations and appearances and so the more fluid we allow our expectations and appearances to be the Mm -hmm. the better off we'll be in a lot of these situations i can i honestly can sympathize with that i i can't i can see that argument and i'm like sort of the ideal world and in that universe, I guess, would be one in which you basically get to choose an avatar and just yeah. be whatever identity you want. Exactly. I'm going to be one of the people from the Cats trailer. Um, <laughs> so, right. but yeah. I, I've thought about that and I, I totally I, I understand that. So let's set that aside, though, just to point out, I think my my problem with the trans thing, though, is like in some sense you're forcing people to lie because when you say, Ooh, that, that's going to be a tough one to make. Go for it, though. <laughs> okay. 
Because when you say, biologically, we have no problem identifying most people's sex about, I don't know, 99 point something percent of the time. There are a few cases that are of intersex and it gets complicated. Yeah, and and I I also would put a pin in the fact that, like, we'd have to go back to the conceptual notion that sex is malleable, that biological sex is malleable, just like gender expression and things are. Okay, but biological sex has a pretty reasonable definition of just, it's anisogamy, it's which which organism has the larger gametes. Yeah, unfortunately, that people who talk about biological sex differences absolutely never stick to just the gametes. They well, always sure. want to talk about other features. And so you can't just say, well, it just, mm-hmm. it's easy to distinguish because it's just the gametes, because that's only, right, right. only used when people are trying to make that one little distinction. And then they go on to say a bunch of other differences. Okay, but there are downstream consequences from the disparity in gamete size. Potentially, but we don't know how they work very well. So, like, especially living in a society that is heavily, has been heavily gendered for much of human history, it's hard Mm -hmm. for us to know how much of what we see in behavior, body type, expression, all these kinds of things is necessarily the result of purely having XY versus XX versus Mm -hmm. a variety of other. factors and and that like again it just comes back to and we could change these things if we want to we're you know like we we could see in our lifetimes gene modification having to do with this at this level even and the question the question we were trying to debate here is is that a good thing should we be allowed to develop that technology and and present it to people who want to switch their you know their gametes sure sure but i think I, i think when we get to that point the 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 i i would answer your question a little bit differently. So if we if we imagine we're in the year 2300 and you can literally create whatever genome you want and you'll just have like whatever identity you want, I think we should behave differently in that world from the world we currently inhabit. I, I think we will behave differently. I think in this world we should behave as if we are trying to get to that world while harming as few people as possible along the way. Okay, but- I, I I don't I don't know that I disagree with that. I have I'd have to think that through very carefully. I haven't come to like a strong opinion on that. But there's a there is a difference because if you're asking me to treat a trans, I I have no problem using a person's per, preferred pronouns. I I would personally do that. However. I do understand that there are a lot of people who feel as though they're being compelled to distort reality and they don't like it. I think that that's that's uh, uh, I mean, I get that they feel like they're distorting. They're being compelled to distort reality as an ethicist. I get this all the time, though. You're compelling people to do X. You're compelling people to do. Yeah, we compel people to do things when it reduces the harm that they are causing to other people. And, And to say, well, you're forcing me to lie. That's not really accurate. Right. I mean, like, I'm not asking you to lie. I'm asking you to say to refer to someone by their gender. And if you have an argument about gender versus biological sex, fine, Mm -hmm. whatever. But like, Mm -hmm. even like because we set aside the question of sports, right? In 99 percent of cultural interactions right off of Mm -hmm. a sports field, there is zero negative repercussions from you just treating someone by their gender identity, as far as I can tell. That like the arguments that it creates a higher physical risk for women are false. There, there's evidence yeah. against that, I, right? I, that like there's evidence that like a, a trans woman is in some ways even less likely to harm than a cis woman because of things like mm-hmm. hormone modification. So, mm-hmm. I. I don't understand. I guess I come back to your identification as sort of leaning conservative, right? What what mm-hmm. are we conserving that is valuable here if there's no harm caused by just having well, people I'm, respect other people's genders? I would say the biological truth. So, like, for example, let's just ask this question. Suppose that I decided I'm going to identify as a camel. I'm not saying that this is exactly analogous with the trans case, but I just want to make the point. So if I say I want to identify as a camel and you're going to call me a camel and you're going to treat me as though I'm a camel, do you think that other people have to respect that? Do you think they have to treat me as though I'm a camel? I think that if they're your friends, 
then they and you really want to be treated as a camel. I mean, like, here, here's what I think, right? Here, here's what I think in terms of interactions, right? Yeah. There's a yeah. difference. I mean, like, I know people who identify in all sorts of really interesting ways. Like, sure. and in terms of interactions, like, it's a different question if I'm, you know, if they're in a doctor's office and I, I don't want the doctor to, you know, I don't, I'm not going to take them to a veterinarian clinic is what I'm saying here, <laughs> sure. right? I'm taking them to a human yeah. hospital. But there's yeah, a world of real life difference between claiming you're a camel or an attack helicopter and claiming that you are one gender <laughs> instead of another, right? Okay, I agree with that. I this, agree, this is a I fallacy think... in the sense that you jumped from the biological designation of camel to the social designation of woman. And the problem, I think, really is most conservatives really want to reject the, the main notion that gender is anything and that we should do anything other than refer to people's biological sexes. Oh, I, I mean, you'd have to point me to those conservatives, but oh, I, I'm I mean, not I, can, I mean, Andy Lewis, I guess the first one comes to mind online. Like there are, there are lots of the, I mean, if you read the current work being put out by like stock and the gender critical feminists, oh. right. Oh. Who, who I would argue are a kind of conservative in the sense that they are trying to conserve some version of first wave feminism, right? They argue okay. that like they, they are they are pulling back from the notion that we should separate gender and biology. Okay. And, and I mean part of the problem here is as I said, I'm I'm this I'm not actually like an expert or, or terribly well read in these issues so i don't have strong opinions i, I think i'm trying to express uh -huh. concerns that i think ordinary people i've talked to have and that seem reasonable to me i haven't i have not actually thought through the trans issue particularly carefully so uh, so it's okay. it, I, so let's, let's talk about I, a different issue yeah. then a little bit right okay. i um because I, I guess what I'm trying to do here is it seems like you've sort of agreed to our point of debate at this point with me that, like, society should try to create social progress where Absolutely. possible and that, yep. like, it is a good thing um, yep. and that in that sense, social progressives are correct. And and yet I'm still trying to understand, I guess, now I've, I've read, in a lot of your materials, it feels like you are sort of catastrophizing a little bit the risk that this kind of progressive ideology poses to society. So I'm trying well, to see if there's like specific cases where you see that this like ideology is leading to really harmful beliefs or something. Well, I mean, to, to, okay, so that's a good, it's a good question. I mean, that ideology, as you expressed it, is not what I'm concerned about. And I don't think I've ever complained about that in my life. And most of my friends are progressives according to that ideology. I do have problems and certain, I have problems with progressives getting people fired. I have problems with them interrupting and not allowing certain kinds of discourse and debates. I have problems with them calling people racist and fascist when with very little evidence for those claims. Those are the, the concrete details that well, I worry about. about the racism thing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, I see you get concerned a lot about people calling people names. And I, I gather that, like, because of your human biodiversity work, you get called a racist pretty frequently. Um, first of all, it confuses me a little mm -hmm. bit that you're bothered by this because, and I don't, I don't mean this in a, in a, in a no. insulting way, you yep. seem to hold a racist view in the sense of, right, if we translate from race to popular population differences, you believe mm -hmm. that there are population differences. You believe that... Mm -hmm those differences are sometimes related to features that have value in our society, things like yeah. IQ. And in yeah. that sense, you are, you are someone who believes that racism or, or, you know, gender differences are the correct empirical view, right? Well, but that's, I mean, I think what's happened in New Zealand, it would be, you know, it's taking a term that has incredibly pejorative connotations and applying it to somebody who thinks that it just happens to match the, the sort of, Okay, so there's a big difference between believing that there are population differences, mm -hmm. even on socially valued traits, and believing that one racial group should dominate another, or one population should dominate another, etc. And I, I and, think, and in when, your defense, you seem to think that society should be in the business of smoothing over population differences, right? It would be better if, if society closed all the IQ gaps, for example. If you could do it, I would be the first in line calling for it, of course. And I also think, and this is where, I mean, maybe we'll get to immigration, but like 
this is why also I'm sympathetic to nationalism, because I believe that one of the best ways to create population harmony is by creating a superordinate identity, which might be the nation state. And I think, yes, when you have people in your nation, racism inside the United States should be intolerable. It's something that I I don't want and I would definitely not encourage. And I think we should strive to get rid of it. I don't think, however, that that means that we have to deny pretty obvious differences among groups. I think that that's a completely separate question. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this gets complicated because I think um, when people are skeptical of that data, of the the biodiversity, there's good reason for them to be skeptical because there's a long history of badly done science backing up these kinds of claims, right? Sure. So, sure. like, there's a there's a good reason to have those kind of priors. And there's a good reason, I think, one that I think you, you've been forced around to by your host, co-host a little bit, that, like, there is some justification for being anxious when, that this information will be misused by individuals to cause – to lead to harmful policies. Well, that's something that I myself I, I have definitely thought about a lot. Here, here, so, I you, your first point is a really good one, and I do agree with that, and I, I agree that I do understand skepticism about it. But here's what I would encourage at least academics to do. This is what academics should be doing. Before you, and again, I, I, I want to be clear. I don't really mind if people call me names. It happens. It that's okay. I, I do start to mind when you see people like my friend Noah Carl who get fired. That's where I start to have a big problem. Now, I think the name racist contributes to wanting to get people fired, and that's why I don't really like that. Um, I can understand I, that, and I, I'm not um, I'm not familiar enough with the Noah Carl situation to okay. feel like I can speak to. Sure. I, I know that you've I've mentioned that one a couple of times, and I. I um, uh, you know, the thing about the firing stuff and, like, deplatforming questions more broadly, like, mm-hmm. I think these are complicated questions as well because, you know, it's very hard to draw the line between this person is doing overtly white nationalist research and mm-hmm. this person is just doing research that just happens to come to the conclusion that, you know, white Westerners are better, <laughs> right? Well, well I... Okay, so I'm not saying that you come to that conclusion. I'm just saying that, like, you know, everyone claims that they're the ones doing the objective research, right? No one, no one puts on a twirly mustache and says, "I'm the like, I'm the monster here." Absolutely, I totally agree with that. So let's try to remember that for a second, because I I do want to get back to this earlier Mm -hmm. point that you made. Which, um, so your your argument was that you know it's reasonable for people to be skeptical of this. I totally agree with that. And for ordinary people, for, for quote regular people, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but for people who don't have the time or the resources to read all the material on this, that's fine. For academics, however, I hold them to a higher standard. If you're going to opine about something, then you ought to read the literature and familiar, familiarize yourself with it. And then we can have the discussion about it. And all I want to do is have a reasonable discussion about it. My I think a lot of academics do that, though, right? Do that, though, right? I have, I mean, the number of people I have talked to who would tell me Charles Murray is a racist, but then admit that they had never read the bell curve, it's it's a high number. And I will say also the number of people who have- Of academics read, or yeah. just people on Twitter? Yeah, academics, okay. academics, people that I knew in academia. Okay. And so, yeah, some of them do, and then they can disagree with me, and that's perfectly fine. But I have spent- years reading the literature, and this is my mature conclusion. I believe that there are population differences, that there are some population differences on socially valued traits that are likely genetically caused. I don't know the exact proportion, but I just want to have a discussion about that. And I think I do, I do understand the, the, I understand what you're saying about like, people call, being skeptical of that and they should be but i do think also it it would it would be good if the academics who criticize that read the literature very carefully and do their best to steel man it okay. <laughs> and I, I mean i think i i feel like i've seen a lot of steel manning of 
um, so would biodiversity example, perspectives. Somebody, would you give me an example of somebody who steel man's biodiversity but disagrees with it? Because uh, I'm not. Because if you can find the person, I would love to befriend that person. Um. Yeah, there was some pushback and forth about this. Let me see if I can find something off the top of my head here. I uh, have a few. I have a few friends, by the way, who disagree with me, and I feel as though they steal man it, but I don't want to say anything publicly about them. So, so I, I, there are a few people, but I, I don't know well, many. So, I guess for example, um, I thought that the very bad wizards guys—I don't know if you listen to the very bad wizards podcast. I don't know. Uh, they did a really great bit on um, racial groups and okay. differences between races and i think they did a very okay. fair job working through the literature and, and still saying you know there this is not particularly indicative of the conclusions that a lot of people draw from these things and that's the important part like i, I don't see a lot of people who are saying there's absolutely no population differences right okay they debate what follows from those in terms of what we can say about things like inequality within society, sure. right? They debate. Okay. Um, and, and they also, I think, it's not just past fear. There's good reason in the present when we have, I think you'd have to agree, a president who stokes racial animus as a way to gain power and that there is a large sort of resurgence since the Obama era of racial animus in this country that, like, there is a hunger for people who will attack the leftist views about diversity and present mm -hmm. a more scientifically coded um appearing neutral but very favorable ultimately to the conservative view and this is what i really worry about with quillet is that it basically does exactly this okay so i agree i agree about trump definitely i am very off put by his rhetoric and even though i am sympathetic to some of the sort of if you could say it let's say larger philosophical views of trumpism and we can get to those I'm sympathetic to some of them. Mm -hmm. I, I find him, uh, he is a repugnant avatar and actually does more damage to ideas that I would like to see prevail in the marketplace. <laughs> and so in many ways, I'm disgusted by his rhetoric. Yes. And I do agree that there is increasing racial tension in the United States. I would not, however, I, I think that there some of it is obviously, you know, the sort of Trumpist movement is to blame to a degree. A lot of the blame, though, I think, and, and this is where I'm sure we'll disagree, but I'm happy to discuss, is should be put at the feet of the people who, prom who, who participate in identity politics with zeal on the Democratic side. And I've watched the Democratic debates for the, pa the, pa the two debates that they had for the, the new wave. and. The amount of racial demagogy on the stage was horrifying to me. I don't like it when Democrats do it, and I don't like it when Republicans do it. I I guess I'm I think that there's there's not really any kind of remote level equivalence here, and that if we look at the history of um identity politics in this country it's way more complicated than this and that what what you really see it seems to me right the narrative that i buy into with all my biases right is okay. that for the past 60 years or so the left has been successful in identity politics in the sense of achieving social change achieving mm -hmm. the civil rights achieving mm -hmm. gay rights all of these kinds of changes right those successes right. in the form of identity politics you're right they helped specific mm -hmm. identity groups has sure. enraged the right who wanted to conserve a status quo that did not allow for a bunch of these kinds of things and that that's what's mm -hmm. driving the animus on the right but I don't think that we should ever, I mean, like, we have to live with that animus, but it, we can't We can't roll back the progress for the sake of protecting those people. Well, okay, so I, I agree with almost everything you said there. I really okay. do. I, I think identity politics are perfectly reasonable if you're a minority group that's actually significantly oppressed in a society. So I don't even oppose White people that. do identity politics all the time, though. We well, have to remember that, like, Trump won because of white identity I politics. Agree. 
I agree. And you're going to see more of that. You're going to see more of the white identity politics because, I mean, I'm not. I don't think we've ever seen less of it. I've never lived in a time where there was not an overabundance of white identity politics. This is what I think is wrong about your account is that, like, there was no white identity politics. And then there was suddenly. But, like, white identity politics is American politics for hundreds of years. I agree with. Okay, so let's be. I agree with that. But I think a nation. I can't think, I mean, there might be a counterexample to this, but nations generally have ethnic groups that are the majority, and inevitably they're seen as sort of the identity of the nation, right? And so, yes, I agree with you. In 1870, well, let's let's even go to 19, let's say 1950. In 1950, you could say that that was white identity politics in some sense, because whites were the majority. And Mm -hmm. if people thought of the United States, they would think of white people. And Mm -hmm. maybe that even held in 1975. But what could happen and why I I don't – my concern is if we're going to have a functional multiracial society, every side either has to give that up or expect it from the other side. And it makes sense that – Expect, sorry, what from the other side? Expect racial identity politics. I mean, Mm -hmm. when when you get in a society that's going to be, okay, whites are going to be the minority in the population by 2040, 2045, something right around there. We'll we'll see if we get there, but sure. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. But like the the current trajectory says so. And if we, if we all live to that point, Mm -hmm. so it makes sense to me. And this may be where you would disagree with me about this, about, I guess, a certain facet of human nature. But it makes sense to me that white people are anxious about that. And I I don't even think that's morally reprehensible. I, I, I find it odd. So I listened to um, Vox and Ezra Klein show, and I, I really like both of them. The, the Ezra uh-huh. Klein show, he has a couple of these podcasts about how whites are just terrified of becoming the minority. And there's almost this derision about it. And it's like, yeah, they are. And I think we should attempt to understand that. And I don't think there's anything morally wrong with that. I don't think Japanese. Well, I think, it's, I think it's, I think it's complicated. Okay. Right. Okay. I think there can be ways in which that could be morally wrong. And there are ways in which, but I think it's, it's, it's possible for it to be the truth, both that, we should be sympathetic and understanding of people's fears while mm-hmm. not letting those fears drive immoral policies or behaviors. Agree. Agree. Right. So agree. I, I don't, I, I don't, I mean, you can understand why here's another problem in all of this, right? I think you experience a lot of animosity on the left. Um, mm-hmm. And and because you, I think, view the world as being better than they view it as being, you see that animosity yeah. is overblown, where for a lot of these people, they're living in a society that is currently regressing, where they feel like their rights could be put at risk. Women could be, you know, facing pull, you know, um, a repeal of Roe v. Wade or something like that. And that, like, their animosity is coming from a very legitimate place, too. And I feel like a lot of the time everyone wants to say we have to be sympathetic to the animosity on the right, but but the animosity on the left is so overblown. Okay, that, no, I that's a fair, that's a perfectly fair point, and I don't disagree with that at all. I think that um, if there are real, I see, but I think your example is a is is a good, it's a good example of overblown rhetoric on the left so let's take the 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 society and women i think it is very hard very hard to argue that our society is misogynistic i i just don't see the evidence we for just it. elected now, a president who said i grab her by the pussy okay right but you you agree with me right that most people wouldn't defend that claim no i don't i actually really don't now i'm genuinely concerned that there's a majority especially of men who would defend that claim as locker room talk okay well okay so they voted for trump i'm very concerned like i i don't i don't know how you can dismiss this as like 
there, there's incredible evidence that we are like right now in our country, there are people openly debating, could a woman successfully get elected president in this country? Like there okay, are but, people but, who are oh, hedging because of that. Yes, but most of the people. OK, the evidence and I'm happy to send you links afterward. The evidence suggests that, in fact, women candidates have a slight advantage and Democrats know this. Lots of there's lots of evidence. For depends that. I'm not, on the area. Depends on the circumstances. There's a lot of factors in play there. I mean, I don't think well, that it's unrealistic that like there it, it is a you know like I think it's a risk worth taking. I think we need a woman a woman to be president badly, but like uh-huh. I, I do understand. I do genuinely believe that there are people out there who who believe that they love women, right? Who respect mm-hmm. women, who think that women are great, who do not mm-hmm. think that a woman can be president. Do you mean they don't think a woman can be president because she's not competent enough or because she's not electable? Uh, Both. Some some think that she's not competent enough and some think that she's not electable. And I, I think that I they're reinforced in these views sometimes by things okay. like group differences, like saying, you know, women are less aggressive and therefore that's why they shouldn't be CEOs. That same logic carries over for presidents. 